Where Dreams Come From is a podcast featuring successful people from around the world who have pursued their dreams to arrive at a station in life. I'm your host, Sanjeev Chatterjee. I'm a professor of cinema and journalism, and in my creative life, I make documentary films. I started this podcast to explore what it takes for people to follow their dreams, even while being true to who they are, at least who they believe they are. My guest today, Sharnath Banerjee, is best known for his incisive portrayal of South Asian characters in his graphic novels and serial graphic publications. But a conversation with him quickly reveals his multifaceted search for purpose and the right medium to express the mystical cities and apparitional characters that, it would seem, took up residence in his imagination and were struggling to come out and speak to all of us. At once a science communicator, filmmaker, historian, anthropologist, artist, Sharnath cuts a rather enigmatic figure, apparitional, like so many of his characters. Sharnath spoke to me from Berlin, where he lives with his young son, while dreaming and telling the stories of places and people in South Asia that doggedly occupy the landscape of his fertile imagination. Sharnath Banerjee, uh, welcome to where dreams come from. Thank you, Sanjeev. Pleasure. Could you please uh, try to see if you can recollect your early memories of growing up in Kolkata? It's very straight, normal, uh, middle class as in highly protected childhood. No big ups and downs, just like one long, uneventful childhood of in a very exciting city. Of course, uh, that city was uh, resplendent with all sorts of things that bring a lot of joy, museums and um, zoos and uh, a lot of my childhood was spent also in Delhi, this um, Kidwanagar neighborhood, lots of cousins. Yeah, extremely uh, mediocre and beautifully dull uh, childhood. Would you say that you are one of those Indians who actually was able to take uh, advantage of the experience of a joint family? I think my father's was the first in his generation. He and his brothers started embracing a nuclear family sensibilities. Uh, however, the, the roots were very strong. So lots of cousins would come by. All the cousins would uh, gather in Delhi at the small three-bedroom uh, government house in Kidwanagar would become the size of Australia. I don't know how that happened. One bed would become the size of a Victorian memorial where parallelly five or six events are happening all at the same time. It's like a Edo period Japanese tea house drawing where simultaneously, simultaneously everything is happening all at the same time. Somebody's reading Tintin, somebody's eating pan, somebody's uh, discussing the new sister-in-law who's walked in and she's left-handed and perhaps actually influenced by the devil. You know, uh, that's sort of that whole landscape uh, got expanded. It was a very collapsible landscape. But, you know, I come from a long line of so-called safe hands. Everyone worked uh, as administrators. So when I tell my son that expectations are generally low, so you can relax. (laughs) So, you know, very ordinary, uh, normal, highly protected, uh, comfortable Comfortable lifestyle, uh, generally, but nothing, nothing to sort of, you know, nothing dramatic ever happened. In the safe hands, one could interpret it as risk averse. <laughs> 
I like that word, risk averse. It's like sort of these new words that are thrown into our vocabulary. Um, kind of make it gentler. Of course, there was a sense of uh, people who were not risk averse, such as uh, family members who had migrated to America, for example, and where adventure happens, where... Because people, you know, migrants would also kind of mythologize and, and also therefore... Uh, justify uh, their migration that you know people are so honest in america that you know you keep your money back you come back after one week the money back is right exactly right there which i kind of actually believe also about america because i lost my mobile phone once in a parking lot in uh, austin and i found it and i was thinking of these stories so yeah so the idea of uh, risk averse meaning uh yeah we we had we heard of like these uh gallivanting members of the family who traveled here and there and kind of made a life elsewhere. But for us, it was just uh, Calcutta. I mean, mind, mind you, a very cosmopolitan Calcutta. There was Parsis, there were Jews, there were Anglo-Indians. So, you know, uh, I, I grew up in a Calcutta where you hardly ever actually had to speak any Bengali to get by, which of course I'm, I, I am and uh, <laughs> dream in that language. But uh, yeah, it was a very cosmopolitan uh, Calcutta. I don't know how it is now. I'm curious to know, as you look back, what uh, are the remnants of those influences in you today? Well, the, it definitely is an encyclopedia of characters <coughs> that I've grown up with, like, you know, from uh, eccentric uh, uncles who, who kind of constantly came up with business ideas which failed, uh, or sellers of ointments, <laughs> the particular kind of uh, eczema that happens from traveling in a particular kind of uh, tram line. As a Calcutta boy, you, you would know that theoretically we had climbed, we have scaled uh, a K2 Mount Godwin, or, uh, we have uh, played tennis with uh, Yannick Noah, we have danced with Isadora Duncan. In our, in our head, we've like, you know, we've pretty much done everything. And childhood, I remember with all these sort of minor obsessions of theoretically uh, going through the absolute end of my interest and then coming back and, and, uh, and, and but not having the resources to actually go fully uh, into river rafting or any of these uh, adventures. All these sort of, you know, become like a, a mess of characters inside my head, like literally like a rupture of, uh, you know, like coming out like pus. And also Calcutta was like full of spectral being, being a colonial city, you know, like that whole Belvedere place where Philip Francis and Warren Hastings had had their duel. And many years later, Victorian Albert like, trying to look find out these dueling pistols while writing in a book on 18th century Calcutta. All this sort of, you know, created just such a rich uh, landscape. I mean, when I read some of these sort of South American writers like uh, Savage Detective uh, Bolaño or, uh, or Boys uh, from um, Argentina, uh, these sort of, you know, these great old cities where everything sort of rubs shoulders, you know, different people, different time spaces, stuff like that. And all, all that is, is definitely uh, the encyclopedia or the dictionary that I continuously turn again and again uh, to get get my ideas and, and thoughts. As you were speaking, I was uh, I couldn't help but think that uh, the characterization of what seemed to me at the beginning this delusion of grandeur <laughs> in people's lives that can easily destroy lives too versus the same experience transforming it in, into something like magic realism. Surreal is a word which I'm more comfortable with because uh, 
uh, not necessarily everything kind of for me turns into magic realism but there's definitely a, a surrealistic aspect of like trying to understand this sort of delusion of grandeur uh, of 18th century Calcutta and all its eccentricities the excesses of uh, of you know of one zamindar who likes the sound of uh, breaking glasses and he realizes the more expensive the glass uh, the better it sounds when it breaks so he started importing glasses from Belgium from wherever they make glasses and then he would have his uh, feet on gari uh, run over those glasses so he just could enjoy the the beautiful immaculate sound of uh, breaking glasses or, or you know the two feuding zamindars you know one uh, had a had a handsome with one horse the other one had a broham he got two horses as com competition then the first one went and got three horses and then realized it's ridiculous to have a small hands uh, broham being driven by four horses so he decided that he's going to finish this competition <laughs> in 18th century calcutta there was a zebra driven horse carriage running on the streets of calcutta so you know it's just uh, this delusion of grandeur created kind of these eccentricity and that is what makes that city never for me a sterile landscape you know i mean i've been living in the west for so long but you know i just still haven't somehow got used to uh, the sterility of, uh, of 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 being here all these so-called big touted to be like the big amazing cities of of the world for me are like just just sterile landscapes sorry as a young boy how did you manage your mind being inhabited by these apparitions well, I mean, I've forgotten most of it, but now that I have an eight-year-old child who I have to put to bed every night with stories, that's where I apply my stories the most, which is uh, uh, to put my child, uh, who, like any child growing outside his um, outside South Asia, there's always the risk of losing their context, and then they grow up with a very pastiche uh, or a or or a, or a childhood which is very identity politics based, where you have to kind of carve out your own world in 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 a in a primarily sort of either white or whatever world they are inhabiting and and somewhere down the line you try to instill some of the particularities that you've grown up with you know in search of those particularities i have to revisit my own childhood by telling him these stories about my my own particularities and and also strangely enough the particularities of his other culture that he comes from which is a city not unlike calcutta at all both the cities have a race course both the cities have got their ghosts uh, we have our colonial ghosts uh, slightly sophisticated and this the other city has its jinns we have our kalboishaki the dark rain bearing clouds that are coming up they have the quetta wind that comes and sweeps through the city of Karachi. So I, I try to incorporate both these uh, both these worlds into into the into my my son's uh, my, my mind. I, I do fantasize that he's going to end up spending a lot of time in Calcutta and in Karachi, which he does often. So in the process of doing that, I relive some of these stories, not just through my books, but just, you know, just orally telling him these stories to stand up to the sort of tide of Western uh, or European modernity being thrown in your direction that that you are at the end of the day, you are a post-colonial human being. I don't wake up in Calcutta or Delhi. No one in, in Calcutta and Delhi wakes up feeling post-colonial. <laughs> Of course, I mean, it is a perfectly legitimate world uh, of literature that comes uh, when there, there's racism, discrimination, collision between the East and West. But it's not part of my heritage, but having your own, own specificity, which means your own modernity, is very important. And that is, it's a failed, it's a failed project for me to try to instill in that in my, my son, who, is, who lives primarily in the German world. 
but it gives me a lot of confidence of, of, of being a fairly self-actualized person that everything does not have to be weighed and measured and compared to like how Western modernity, we are just very comfortable with Western modernity. It's just that it's not ours. That's at least how I feel. When did you start doodling, drawing, whatever it is? What occasioned that? People of our generation did not have parents who <laughs> who would take us for piano classes. <laughs> uh, mother thing to do in Calcutta is to take your child to Academy Fine Arts. And Lady Ranu Mukherjee was that time the, the head, an extremely amazingly beautiful and dignified woman, uh, very kind and very nice, but told my mother that your son does not really actually have any <laughs> real talent in drawing. Perhaps tabla <laughs> might be one thing he, he could <laughs> try out. And then later on, when I was studying biochemistry, I had a lot of uh, these... Uh, chemical biochemical pathways and also protein folding and how like gene and protein were made and everything was like a little story like a little soap opera built around the, the calvin cycle or the photosynthetic cycle or how amino acids are made so you know many like years of like drawing more as a kind of communication because i couldn't really draw very well i still don't really draw very well i'm mediocre but i i can kind of get my thing out and uh, uh, you're studying science. Uh, is that something you were really interested in or is that a direction that was prompted? Uh, well, I, I read, a, uh, again, a Satyajitre short story where the evil German uh, scientist tried to recreate evolution in a test tube and he stole Professor Shunku's formula. And when the, the, you saw the whole primordial soup uh, producing salamander, which became like apes, and then eventually the man that was created was Shunku himself was very besotted by that story and uh, the, the, this German <laughs> scientist was a biochemist, Otto or something. And then uh, I read the life and works of Severo Ochoa, the Spanish biochemist and P.B. Medawar and things that I did not understand but I was just like kind of got into the whole glamour of biochemistry and I single-mindedly wanted to study biochemistry and eventually become a biochemist. Uh, I like the the dream to it uh, and then of course uh, as and when I progressed in that world I realized that I'm, I'm not I'm not cut out to be a researcher I can't spend my entire life studying one protein that's when I decided that I'm going to bail out of my masters and and study something else which is what and I And what did you study and where? Well, I went to England um, and uh, I, I studied uh, basically visual anthropology. I, I studied um, history of image and, and uh, it was a half practice. I did an MA uh, from Goldsmiths College. What was the first expression of that particular kind of a plot point in your story of saying that, okay, I'm going to be a scientist and then realizing that you are better off being a science storyteller? I wish there was like a, a one significant event that that did the turn around, but I would probably think that there was must have been some series of events. Uh, I mean, I joined a television and I did my first big documentary on Bhopal gas tragedy 12 years after the tragedy where uh, I saw the whole story through the point of view of the man who had done uh, all the autopsies the night of the Bhopal gas tragedy, Dr. Satpati and uh, realizing the, the power of uh, sort of spinning text and image, you know, like uh, 
to kind of create like something uh, i was not a very good filmmaker so i i just realized that i i needed to kind of you know figure out my own way of telling stories and uh, I, for a long time i was trying to figure out what would be the best way i did music videos also by the way i did advertisement a whole uh, slew of things before i arrived at the idea of like going right back to where i started which is drawing and you also worked in advertising in england and that's where the project uh, about losers came about i always fancied the idea of having an advertising agency that is going to advertise out of fashion ideas and out of circulation celebrities out of uh, circulation uh, political movements uh. so i was like you know i was just generally hanging around uh, making toast for my son before going to school when i got this email from the london olympics saying that like look you know, we we you've been nominated but you have to come up with a proposal because it's um, it's really a, a big project you know like so uh, i sort of said that okay i mean it's about olympics so it must be should be must be about losing because uh, one of the best things about olympics is where people lose and the various ways in which they lose because you win only in one way but you lose in most amazing ways so their characters are like boxers who get into the boxing ring and uh, their primary job is to avoid a punch <laughs> or a pole vaulter who is uh, a steadfast pole vaulter but <laughs> sometimes when he is about to like you know jump the uh, pole he realizes that perhaps he's uh, chosen the wrong spot <laughs> or a high jumper whose whole life is about being light so he reads light uh, literature he reads uh, eats uh, light food uh he everything about him he doesn't take anything very seriously and in a party when people ask him what do you do he said i jump and then says no seriously he said no seriously i jump that's all i do but the only time he feels a bit heavy is seeing that one uh, bronze medal that is won at school after that he hasn't won anything so it's full of like these characters like that there's a there's a armenian guy who uh, as a child would uh, pick up heavy ref- refrigerators but only when no one is watching <laughs> so obviously he could not perform very well at the olympics and these these were massive posters billboard posters all across east london so my cousins were like whoever lived in london were passing through were extremely proud and suddenly i got legitimacy as someone who had arrived bumpa has arrived that's my nickname so <laughs> so it was good so what was the first book also oh, the corridor was came out of my friend andy and i used to bike around the whole city we were working as video editors and buying a cheap uh, thunderbolt beer and then coming back to the city and looking for a place where uh, there's some light uh, where we could sit and have a drink but the only place where there was light was the emergency uh, room outside sardajang hospital <laughs> so we sat there and drank uh, beer and and also i remember delhi as this sort of mystical city <laughs> mysterious mystical city where suddenly in a farmer's party murari walks in and then you have a long conversation murari and say that murari i haven't seen you for a long time he said yeah i've been away for a while and then you come to the host and say look i guess who i met just now coming straight from the fog he said you met murari then they say yeah murari has been dead for 5 years but he just has so much fomo <laughs> that he can't even like miss a delhi party <laughs> so um you know delhi for me was a was a magical city i met all the important women in my life in delhi uh, most of them not all uh, including my ex wife the 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 eros the desire that in that city is just phenomenal and it's of course also the city where i came of age 
So I just wanted to celebrate it somehow. And I was desperately looking for a language to celebrate it and, and a character. It's a multi-plot based around a second-hand bookshop in Connaught Place run by a guy who seems to have some uncanny ability to know what uh, people uh, want to read, which direction of life they want to go to. He was a, effectively a life Sherpa. Also, I got a MacArthur Fellowship by that time and I was researching aphrodisiacs. <laughs> you know, Bengalis, they're weak in their constitution, so they have to occasionally go out and look for enhancement. So I was looking at all these guys in Old Delhi, these all these Hakims who were selling sex stuff. I, I got money to research that from MacArthur Foundation, Chicago, to do this research and, uh, and make a graphic novel out of it. So that also becomes like a very primary uh, aspect of the book. So I had to kind of imagine, or so I say, uh, various sexual ailments and, and go and talk to them. I have extremely charismatic guys from like Peshawar, Lahore. They have ancestry, very colorful ancestry from Ghazni from <laughs> yeah delhi is just a party it just refuses to delhi just refuses to fade i'm just uh, through this conversation trying to to wrap my head around the landscape of your imagination so how does this affect your relationship to people you meet you come across people are always trying to flock together with like-minded like people are they scared? Are they are they reverential? Are they amazed? What is your experience? You know, um, right after plague, uh, the church became very strong, and uh, notions such as monogamy, notions such as uh, anti-other, you know, or or uh, casual uh, mingling of people, bathhouses, uh, prostitutes. Uh, basically, the church had like enormous power to disguise the morality, and now also with COVID, you see that is becoming a virtue that I, I only hang out with my bubble of people. I've just taken my, my bundle up, my five kids and gone to Brandenburg in a little like a house. And there I'm living like in a rural world and a rural setting. And there's a lot of this romantic stuff that is going on in Berlin. It's just like it's, uh, it's become like a virtue, you know. I live in a city which, uh, which also produces amazing um, I mean I work with a amazing uh, Iranian artist uh, and illustrator there is there's a large world that I inhabit so there's a lot of desire and, and eros in these encounters you know I've given up the, that intellectual aspect I am not very good at anal analyzing so very in instinctive and a lot of it is about the history of feelings how you felt in a certain way or a certain time. How did that afternoon, that torpid afternoon in Delhi when nothing moves and you are stuck in Badushas of a road trying to get a bus uh, to come? How did it feel, you know, trying to recapture that? All that comes from like a lot of meeting people, you know, a lot of being out and encounters, not comes from like reading 20 books or stuff like that. My, my heart breaks that my child is growing up in this world where they are uh, stuck in this situation, you know, Zoom calls and classrooms. And I mean, it's great for people who live in their little like uh, Thomas Hardy life and, and, you know, write about pastorality and like inward philosophical stuff. Like, but I'm a, I'm a street level writer, you know, everything happens. I, I cannibalize people that I, uh, that I meet. I, I eat them up and then I write them down. And... Uh, yeah, it's going to be a crisis. It's it's there. It's already started affecting mental health and uh, 
I don't know where we are going to go with this. Sharad Banerjee, thank you very much for taking this hour to speak with me. Thank you, Sanjeev. It was, uh, I think, essentially I said things that I haven't said before, which is good. <laughs> thank you. Sharnath Banerjee is among those to whom their dream came early. However, the path to it was circuitous. It is clear from this conversation that his self-evaluation of mediocre skills in every field he tried, even the one he chose, drawing, did not stand in the way of his dream to share the stories in his head with the world. Maybe this is what we would call resilience. For Media for Change, I'm Sanjeev Chatterjee.